What's up, everybody? I'm Dr. Peter Bolton. And I'm Dr. Craig Spodek, and you're listening to the Bulletproof Dental Practice Podcast. Simply the best podcast in dentistry designed to help you maximize your practice and your life through four pillars of success. Leadership, team culture, marketing, and financial freedom, and everything in between. Now, let's get to it. All right, everybody, welcome back to another edition of the Bulletproof Dental Practice Podcast. We're here today, Dr. Bolden, myself, and Dr. Miguel Ortiz. Super pumped up to have you here, man. You're a big deal in dentistry. It's, cool, man. it's, 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 it's been a long time coming. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. This, is, this is the pinnacle of your I mean, career. I mean, really, it's been a long time coming. I've been coming from far <laughs> south in South America for like 20 years. It's been a long time coming. Well, welcome. I'm glad you made it across the border, by the way, since we were talking about <laughs> it. I had to swim. But, <laughs> but that's actually true. The point is, let me tell something to your listeners because they're going to have to deal with two things today. This is ridiculous. The first one is my heavy accent. And the second one is, you're not going to believe this. When you hear it, you're just going to crack up. About half an hour ago, guess what happened? I beat oh. my tongue, dude. Oh, like, ferociously. Like, it was bleeding. And my wife's like, are you still going to do this? I'm like, I can barely talk. So <laughs> oh, God. Yeah. I, I gave a patient yesterday two immediate dentures. And I'm like, you're going to be fine. And I'm like, now, man, if just a high tongue hurts like this, imagine what she's feeling right now. Like, so empathy all over my body right now. And I'm sorry for you guys having to hear me with my accent. And like, I can barely move my tongue. So, uh, well, if it's any <laughs> you know, consolation for karma. you, uh, if it's any consolation for you, Miguel, my wife is from Puerto Rico and oh. her accent is five times worse than yours. And her, sp- her Spanish is Spanglish. So if you, you know, tell her that her accent is worse than an Argentinian accent. You're not getting any sex tonight. So you don't well, say that again. Well, I, you know, I don't know if I was planning, I don't know if I was going to get it <laughs> anyway. I've been married a long time, but, uh, uh, the, no, the Spanglish is hard, you know, like, vamos a hanguera con nosotros, you know, or yo uh, slicea la torta para ti, you know, like I'll slice, you don't you. understand. You don't, you. No, I speak Spanish, but there's a whole like Spanglish. So they take. Podemos hablar mal de Peter? Podemos hablar mal de Peter y no entiende nada? Vamos, vamos. Podemos hablar mal de Peter y no entiende nada? Ah, sí, nada, nada, nada. Uh, es posible para uh, hablar con Peter muchas veces, un poquito muchas veces, sigo diciendo Peter, Peter. Para que exacto, que exacto. No entiendo nada, nada. Perfecto, perfecto. Okay, that vamos. Nos habla... Mississippi, so all I understand is country. Yeah, exactly. There you go. There you go. Actually, Miguel, you probably wouldn't. Under- Peter's coming live right now from uh, Philadelphia, Mississippi. So they probably wouldn't understand either one of us. You got to really get that Is southern this- way. Well, we literally just got cell phone service. Mississippi. <laughs> Mississippi. So anyway, um, I'm sorry about your tongue. That sucks. I, I, I Dude, know it that. hurts. Yeah, it, but it kills. Okay. It kills. And then, of course, when you bite your tongue, it swells. So you're likely to bite it again. <laughs> you know? oh, man. It sucks. Oh. Anyways. Yeah, I should anyway. have put some topical there. Or you could have given yourself a block. I should. I should. You want to go? Gonna, you you want to do it real quick, wait. and we'll we'll wait. Might, might as well. <laughs> let me get some edibles. I mean, like if we're gonna go there, if we're gonna self medicate for this, <laughs> let's just do it. I don't know. I does, mean, uh, does edible have any analgesic effect? I don't know if that's been studied. I I, I mean, you gotta try. It. Yeah, there's yeah. some pain. There's some pain modification to that. To THC. Really? Yeah. I didn't realize yeah. that. Oh, that's gonna be huge. Like, that's why it's the CBDs and THCs is like that's what the can that's why it became medicinal marijuana is for people yeah. in chronic pain. Oh, I thought it was like appetite. I thought it gave you the munchies. What? what? No, I'm not kidding. I really thought like people. No, that's have- true. There's something to to the munchies. You know, people in, in, 
cancer treatment that they, they don't that's what i thought i thought it was for appetite yeah, stimulation but no but it is for pain uh pain release i think we should get to dentistry actually can we get to uh, dentistry? i thought that was part of it that's what i give my patients instead of a block <laughs> mrs jones is just sitting there tripping uh, <laughs> that's still, that's still a side bet there's no trip with uh, with uh with ghc I, I literally i i'm i'm very uh I, I don't know much about drugs so i guess that's a good thing but anyway, um, so we're happy to have you here. You know, we're get, just getting a little bit of background on what you do for those, who, for those who've been living under a rock for the last five years. You have a massive following on Instagram. A lot of the doctors that Pete and I work with really emulate your uh, courses and your style of dentistry and what you do. And kudos to you. You've accomplished a lot in a relatively short amount of time as being a dentist. You've, only, you've been out for five years as a dentist, but before that, you were a lab tech. Is that correct? That is correct. I've been doing dentistry as a whole for maybe 17, 18 years. Just ah, a different path than most people. Got it. Got it. That makes um, sense. But, but yeah. So tell me about the lab, lab world. What were you doing over there? What, what type of uh, work arrangement? When I, um, when, when I started working in the lab back in what, 2002 or something like that, I was in charge of waxing up and metal finishing mostly. So I would wax up full contour, maybe 10, 15 crowns a day or bridges or whatever, cut them back to the thickness of porcelain you wanted to put and then invest, cast, finish the metal. Sometimes, sometimes opaque and put some porcelain, but I'm not that good with porcelain, but definitely I can wax. And then did you know, even back in 2002, that you wanted to one day eventually become a dentist? When I just started as a dental technician, no. Um, I honestly thought that I couldn't do shit with my hands. Uh, all growing up, I can build, I can fix, I can, you know, draw. Uh, so I knew that I was good with my mind, my numbers and my sciences. So I knew I was going to be in sciences, but never thought that I was going to be doing something with my hands. And then it just happened that I became a dental technician for many other reasons. And then I'm like, okay, I think I, I guess I can do this. And then, um, yeah, the, the, my drive was never going to let me just sit behind a bench, uh, ruining my back for uh, 35k a year. So I always wanted to, to keep going. Um, the problem is that I was a dreamer. And as a dreamer, I couldn't move forward. And being a dreamer, I kept dreaming. And eventually, when, when the situation was right, then I was like an animal out of a cage. You know, I was in cage for about six, seven years. And by the time you open that door, I'm like, well, you're going to have to run behind me because you're not going to run in front of me. Oh, that's and awesome. That's kind of how, how, how that fell out. So uh, eventually, by 2009-ish, I finished my biochemistry degree and then uh, Harvard made a mistake and they let me in and I just didn't say anything. I said, okay, it was a different Miguel, but I guess I'll take it. <laughs> exactly. Um, yeah. That's awesome. So what got you into That's, dentistry? How did you get your lab job? Like what, what was your exposure to dentistry? How did I get my lab job? Uh, another thing that one of my mentors, uh, the lab tech program, keep bringing every time we meet. So I was in LA and I was working in a pizza place. Again, I can throw the pizza in the air and everything one day if you guys come to eat. So I was working in a pizza place uh, in the oven and I was going to night school, uh, city college, taking English and math and things like that just to keep going. And there was a dental technology program, a two-year dental technology program every night um, that I just walked by on the hallways. And my brother was a dental technician and still is. He's now in Spain, but he graduated in Argentina. So I knew kind of what the machines were and uh, so I'm like, oh, I know this. And I said, what is this? And they're like, well, you know, it's a two-year program. The night shift starts next Monday. So I signed up. And the idea in my head was, okay, if the American dream doesn't happen, 
I become a dental technician. I go to Spain with my brother and I continue there. But if the American dream happened, I'll make it happen here. And um, so I did that. I signed up 5 to 10 p.m. every night. And I was working in a pizza place for like six in the morning until 4.30. And then a month end, there was like a C course or something for dental lab owners in the school. So I had just started. I think I knew how to pour some models and that's it. And uh, so it was a Saturday morning, 2002. I think I had my barely had a computer and a printer at home. And I made business cards. Again, I put my name on it and I put, you know, I'm a dental technician student and I'm looking for a job. And I just, you know, got a eight by 11, I got 16 of them there, I cut them. And I went to that CE course and I just gave it to all the owners. And um, Monday I got a call. They're like, hey, I got your car the other day. We're looking for somebody. I said, but look, I don't even know what you do. I just started. And they're like, that's what we want. We don't want nobody with any knowledge. We'll train you. So I started working in the dental lab uh, from, you know, seven in the morning to 5 p.m. At the same time that I was doing the two-year dental technology program. So for two years I did that and then I stayed in the dental lab. And I kept going. Eventually I went back to school, finished my biochemistry degree. At the same time I worked in uh, about 60 hours a week in the lab. And, um, and then I moved to Boston. That's awesome. And tell me about your practice life now. What's, uh, how long have you been? Are you in one practice, multiple practices? What's that dynamic? One practice uh, is a uh, multi-specialty practice. We have three prostodontists, one oh, perio, wow. one endo, uh, three hygienists, and a beautiful team. And uh, we're in Boston. What part of Boston are you in? Uh, we are in Brookline. Oh, yeah, yeah, cool. Um, so we're in Brookline, um, and, and uh, we do everything. We do, I'm not just doing surgeries and big cases. I'm one of my hygienists, just, or two of them, actually are in maternity leave at the same time. So guess what I've been doing for the last two weeks nonstop. Wow. So it, it, I, we do everything. We, I do class twos, class ones. I hate them as much as everybody else hates them. <laughs> uh, I do implants. I do full mouths. Uh, I had to scan a root plane. I'll do it. I don't care. That's awesome. Miguel, I got it. Have you always been a photographer even prior to being in your dental lab? I mean, that's obviously I where you... I wouldn't say always. Finances were always an issue. I grew up very humble back in Argentina. And then when I came here, I got nothing. But it's been a hobby in my mind for a long time. I started doing video, actually. Um, but the problem with video is technology really does change way too quick on you. And you're always trying to catch the big guys who are doing this amazing thing. And you ended up being a, a bad copycat or whatever video technique they do. And most of what they do is based on what technology can, they can get their hands on. Photography is much more forgiving than that. And it took me a while to realize how by the time I figure out how to do, you know, a cool video, it's like, okay, it's not even cool anymore. And, uh, and I couldn't keep up with, with buying, you know, lightings and this and that. But uh, photography is that you can have a 20-year-old camera and still do amazing photography if you yeah. understand the concept of lighting and things like that. So when I switch to photography, I'm like, oh, I can do this. And that was about 10, 12 years ago. When did you start? When was your first course? When did you realize that teaching was a passion for you? I had this thing that um, I needed to validate myself internally. And I knew I was ready to do a course way before I graduated from school because I couldn't look around my classmates and say, okay, you guys don't know anything and I do. Let me teach you in a little way, not in a, not in a pretending way. Um, but I always have this thing that I didn't when I come out of school, she was, oh, come, come pay me to see me. It felt, it felt wrong. It felt like I needed to get some more game. Um, so I didn't, do it during, I didn't do it during residency, even though I could. Uh, but I did kind of, in a way, stepped out the game on my residency for everyone who came after because everybody was doing the classic uh, ring flash and a couple of them were 
attempting to do the twin flash and I lobby to my chair of the department to put a black background on the wall and I, and I brought a softbox and I brought this and I brought a ton of flashes and people were like, what the heck are you doing? And then whenever we had the first treatment plan presentation kind of in academia and, and I started putting things on the, on the screen, they're like, oh, <laughs> I guess that's what he's doing and how is he doing it? So for the class that came below, I think we raised the bat a little bit and now everybody in the program is trying to do a little bit better. Um, so when did I start teaching? The first course was about two and a half years ago. Uh, wow. The first official paid course. What was it? It was a photography course? It was a photography course, yeah. And when did you start on Instagram? Because I'm looking at you know, almost 177,000 followers. How, how, uh, uh, when did you start that? 2016-ish, end of 2015, 2016. I didn't really wow. start heavy posting and I deleted a lot of the initial posts because they were more like personal that didn't have nothing to do with, with what I ended up doing. So even when you see the first one, the first picture now, what might say 2016 or something like that, or 2015, maybe a year before that I started with, you know, so whatever it was doing on Instagram, which was, you know, live, stupid stuff. Um, do you credit Instagram a lot with your brand recognition, the sales of your courses? I mean, do you, do you think that was instrumental to it? Good question. 100%, yeah, 100%. It was the tool and the way we use the tool. Um, for some people, Instagram was the only reason. For me, I think it was a medium. Um, I attribute the reason to many other uh, many other aspects of it. Just like, you know, you have one clinic and it's working. Do you attribute your clinic just because your dad did it four years ago and then it's in the right place? Fuck no. You know, like you, you're putting a lot of sweat and tears into it. Yeah. But yeah, but without the medium, you have nothing. So uh, it, it is what the medium brought to us at what time and what we decided to do with it, which that's the, that's, that's the part that I'm most proud of it, which is what we decided to do with it. And, um, Miguel, so, yeah. I want to get right into a question of mine because I've looked at the photography and Craig and I've had this discussion time and time again. It's beautiful. And obviously, like, you know, the term dental porn, like I think your, 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 your handle is obviously, you know, I think you've, uh, what am I trying to say, Craig? I think you've amplified that term, maybe dental porn, because it's, it's really cool. You're doing cool pictures and colored lips and sparkles and really cool artistic pictures of teeth. For yep. the students that have taken your course, what do you have? What have you seen in terms of their transition, in terms of their their website presence, or their or even their social media outfacing to patients? Like, how have you seen that help transform not only their dentistry dental porn, but their business? Yeah, dental porn uh, uh, was coined about a year and a half ago, and then um, some people wrote articles about it, and then I, I touched that on on Dia. I remember we talked about dental porn during Dia. Um, I think we're, we're beyond dental porn right now. And, and that took some effort. So about, you know, four or five years ago when we started on Instagram, I always, people say, how do you become big on Instagram? And I, to me, it's really easy to say how I became big on Instagram and how uh, it's going to be really hard for anybody to become big on Instagram right now. And it has nothing to do with me being good or being bad. When Instagram just started, every, it was growing. So that we shouldn't forget about that. In 2015, 2016, everybody was joining Instagram. So everybody joins and tries to follow people. Eventually you hit a plateau as a user in which you're like, fuck, I'm not following anybody else. I'm just done with the two, three, 500 people that I follow. And that's it. Maybe I follow one more. So when that growth died, it's hard to get more growth. And that growth is in a way dead. When, when Instagram started, um, it evolved out of Facebook, of course. And it evolved, evolved out of how horrible Facebook had become. 
Facebook was amazing uh, for dentistry during 2007 to 2012 or something like that with groups and discussions and putting uh, dentistry out there for your colleagues. But then it became a place of hate. And then when we left Facebook, I was at least hoping that we could find a place that it wasn't full of hate. When, you, when we started in 2015, 2016, I had the right combination of things. And you can say that that's just by luck. The fact that it's a photo platform, it allowed a prostodontist with good photography uh, to join in at the right time. And it was pretty easy to get likes and follows. It was just, just like that because people haven't seen pictures like that. People haven't seen the width of procedures that I could do uh, based on my training, no, based on me being special. So I could show you my workshop and I could show you my surgery and I could show you the final prosthesis and the before and after. And I always say, and I always joke, you know, if you're, if you're a surgeon or a periodontist, you're going to show blood and not even dentists like blood. I know that because I did my own test on, on posting blood and what happens. Um, then if you're, a, if you're a, an orthodontist, you're going to show before and after. It's amazing before and after, but that's about it. If you're an endodontist, it's full of radiograph, right? Yep. And if you're a periodontist, you better not be posting. So it just gave me the right combination of things, doing good photography and a range of things that you can show at the right time that the account grew very fast. With that growth around mid or late 2017, it, was, it might sound weird, but at least in my end, it came responsibility. Because I realized around I hit seven or 80,000 followers by the conversation that I was having with them. And then I started doing the courses that instead of engaging people or making people want to do better, I was turning them off. I will talk to John dentists and they will say, I cannot do what you do. I, I try and it, it just doesn't work. I'm very frustrated. Like I cannot prep like that. I cannot take that kind of impression. So what, what seemed, seemed cool to me for you know, the first two years, it started bothering me. I'm like, I'm not helping here by showing this perfect dentistry, this perfect shot, this perfect lighting, whatever. So I think it was beginning of 20 or late 2017, beginning of 2018, that some of us who already had a large account, we went for dinner. It was like five of us. And we were talking about it. And I brought out the discussion and said that I wasn't happy with what we were doing. And they were like, what are you talking about? We're doing really well on, you know, followers. And I'm like, I, I can't care less about followers. Like, I'm not happy about the message that I'm transmitting. And, and they were like, what do you mean? Well, I mean that I grew up in the 90s. And I remember in the 90s when many of us were very concerned about what kind of pictures the magazine were showing of women. And what was that doing to, to other women and, and men too, right? But how it was all skinny and perfect. And then that was having a big impact in society. Now I'm not saying that we're doing that with that reach, but in a way we're kind of doing the same. What kind of message are we giving to our followers about how dentistry should be? So they said, well, what are you going to do? I said, well, I can do two things. I can show pretty pictures for the rest of my life, which is pretty easy. Just take a nice shot and post it. Or I can switch this platform towards education. And because now that people are listening, now we can share, discuss, and, and grow together with no hate. So about two and a half years ago or so, I set up to do that. And many people follow, many people didn't. Many people still post, oh, look at my before and after, which in my, and I've done it many times, in, in my opinion, it's like, oh, look at me, and that's about it. Or we can spend time to educate and hope that that education then filters directly and ends 
uh, the patient because that's that's what we want to do we want what what we share and we come out to an agreement that that's how things should be based on science that then it affects patients for the good and it's taken me about two years to do that me and many others and i think we got it i mean it's, it's crazy when you have a vision of saying yeah enough pretty pictures enough dental porn let's let's grow you know and and right now I think we, we got most major accounts starting to trying to generate discussion and in, in, in a way that hate is not allowed. You don't like what I'm posting, just move on. You know, it's, I think it's interesting. We talk, Pete and I talk about this all the time. There's, there's dentists don't really know what they need, unfortunately. And we see this a lot. Uh, dentists will come to us and say, Hey, we need help with our marketing. We need help with this or that. And really when you do a deep dive, because we, we're, we're trying to help dentists grow, at, you know, and their fulfillment, their productivity, their happiness. And um, sometimes they think it's just, I need to learn more courses. I need to learn um, more clinical aspects of their skill set. And I think it just goes without saying that their, their marketing, their Instagram, and their, the message they put out is really important to identify the, um, the target. And obviously when I look at your page, I would think that uh, it's going to attract many dentists to look at your page and be interested in following you. My question to you is I want to see if you see um, actually patients commenting and saying, Hey, can you do that? Like I'm looking at some of the before and afters that you have or some beautiful stuff. Are, are you getting patients saying, Hey, can you do that? Or are you saying you're getting patients say, Hey, I probably get about five or 10 patients a day. wanted you fly from whatever place in the world to come see me and do X, Y, and Z. And my answer is no. I'm probably turning down tens of thousands of business. Why? Why do you say no? My experience is that those patients are red flag every single time, every single time. And, and you know, you, you guys have been on this longer than me. One of the key things of being a successful dentist is to learn to say no and to learn to uh, understand which patient you should treat and which patient you shouldn't treat. And I've learned in my young uh, practitioner's career that we do not own their problem, but we're here to help them from the bottom of our heart. And their problems that are dental problems and their problems that are not dental problems. And I can't help you with your non-dental problem. And I've learned that most patients who are willing to travel far away to see a quote-unquote famous dentist no, they're not right. They're not in the right state of mind. They're, they're not. It just becomes a red The problem with, is between their two ears, not their, not their mouth. Yeah, yeah sometimes. And, and it's unfortunate. I would love to have more knowledge to help them that way, but it just doesn't work. Um, and, and then I feel guilty. I have cases where they do drive long distances and whenever it goes wrong and it goes into 10 appointments, then I'm fired. Then I feel really guilty because... Now this person is driving so much. Well, I think now that's this. genius. I think that's so, you know, you, you even said, you know, early in your career, you've kind of identified that. And I think that's genius because I think as that's one of the most taxing aspects of someone who, um, for dentists, I think that's the thing that wears on us the most in our careers is, is getting tired of the interactions and, and having those rogue patients that are like all of a sudden it becomes massive problems. And you've just said, hey, I have the disproportionate amount that come from out of town and I'm just not going to deal with that because it's not worth the income that I might receive. Yeah. So I think that's just genius. 
genius that no, you identified no that early on. And we're talking about thousands of dollars, and it's no worth the income. You come home, I think that's just genius. go wrong, you don't sleep. Uh, just, yeah, learning I, to say no is genius. That's amazing. Thank you for what, saying that. What I also and like I'm still that, learning. I'm not saying that I mastered it. I'm still learning. Yeah, but, you get, but I'm that's still a, much more comfortable. Yeah, I've been practicing 21 years, and I'm definitely better today than I was 10 years ago with that. I think, um, you know, just managing patients' expectations. But I, I think you touched on something that I want to reiterate. In medicine, um, medical doctors will say, hey, Mrs. Jones, you have cancer. I'm going to work really hard with you to help fight the cancer. But cancer is really tough, and there's a lot of challenges that are going to come forward. And I don't know what the prognosis is going to be, but I'm going to put everything, my heart, and everything yeah. I have into this. But in dentistry, it's like, hey, Mrs. Jones, you have TMJ. I'm going to fix your TMJ. So it's Mrs. Jones versus doctor in TMJ. We stand with the disease. You know, you have tons of decay. I'm going to do a full mouth rehab on you. I'm going to fix it all. That's total bullshit. Because the, the behavior that got them to have a full mouth rehab because of tons of decay, if you don't arrest that behavior, all your beautiful, pristine, perfect work will fail just the same way. Oh, so we, so we do that as dentists. True. And I'm in the same crusade. Excuse me. I started a crusade about seven months ago or so, in which I believe that implant failure is not the end of the world. Implant failure is not a tragedy. And I changed the conversation with my patient, my patient who were thinking about putting an implant to that. I say, hey, this might fail. And it's okay. Actually, more likely it will fail. And it's okay. And when it happens, we're going to be sitting right here in about a month or two months, and it's, it's going to suck. Okay, I'm not going to be happy. You're not going to be happy, but it's not the end of the world. And it's not your fault unless you don't do what I tell you to do. And it's not my fault. It's just your body either heals the right way or heals the wrong way. And I'm starting to talk to my colleagues about stop saying that implant failure is treating it as a cancer. It's not. Okay, like, you know, implant fails, you take it out, you put another one. What's the big deal? You know, so. Yeah, but teeth fail. Teeth are a frictional part, just like your brakes and your windshield wipers. They're but frictional. Important- I, I, I tell patients all the time, your own, she goes, how long will this last? I'm like, just by the way, the crowns that you have are all breaking down. The crowns I'm about to put in are all breaking down. Your natural teeth are breaking down yeah. and God makes the best teeth. So by the time you need dentistry, you're already behind the eight ball. I tell that yeah. all the time. I think that's neat in that, you know, I, I always say this to, you know, dentists that I mentor, you know, when you're talking to patients on the front end, everything's an explanation on the back end. If you're having, it's an excuse. And so yes. what you just did is framed it like, hey, this may fail. And some people are like, whoa. And it's like, hey, remember when it's I It's not even it may. Discussion? It will fail. It, it okay. will. Well, it actually in will. One of, in one of my courses, uh, the SKC rehabilitation and tooth preparation courses, we uh, spent a lot of time talking about minimally invasive uh, dentistry. And after the two days of that course, people basically go home thinking, maybe I should never do a crown again. Okay. <laughs> and we back that out with science and, you know, not to get too deep into the concept, but it comes to the cost of retention and resistance versus bonding, right? Bonding techniques. And I'm not doing uh, crowns anymore, unless it's a full mouth for many reasons that you, they are indicated, but you have a virgin tooth or a root canal tooth or a tooth that broke a cusp. The tooth doesn't have a crown for me. It has something else. And the conversation that I have with the patient when I'm designing my, in front of them, the crown, because I don't let my assistants do it, I'll do it myself. Uh, I'm designing there in front, they're like, oh, this is so cool, yeah, blah, blah, blah. I said, did you see how I didn't cut down your tooth all the way? Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, you want me to cut it down? No, don't cut it down. I said, well, this is how dentists used to think based on the science and material that they had. There was nothing wrong. 
And this is my, one, my generation starting to think based on science. Before, I would have cut this tooth all the way down. Now I don't. However, now I have to choose rely on the glue. Before, we didn't. Blah, 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 blah. This might come out. Tomorrow, this might pop right out of your mouth. If it does, I'll glue it again. And if it comes out again, then I'll give you a crown. No cost. Or I can give you a crown right now if you want. I can cut this tooth. So, no, 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 no. It's okay. It's okay. It's okay. It's okay. Just, just, just yeah, glue this little piece of glass on it. Uh, I'm just telling you, you know, we, we want to save tooth and I give the whole spiel. It takes me, I have 20 minutes to design that crown so I can have a very long conversation. What are you designing on, Miguel? What are you doing? What you're say, Sarek, you're, so you're doing share side yeah. design? Mm-hmm. Got it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I have a 20 minute conversation on how I am less invasive, uh, new technology, and you know that needs to be your next course and, is and like then i see the then i see yeah and, and yeah. then i and, and then i put myself the information up front this might come out now it hasn't happened in the last hundred or something that i put on but if it does it's not the end of the world i just yeah. you know yeah it's, i said i prefer to deal with an annoyance than with a failure because if you have to come back here it's annoying to you and to me we need to spend another two hours me doing a new restoration but it's not a failure because we tried the least invasive first and then if I have to cut more teeth to get retention, I'll do it. And they're like completely get it. And then money comes out, which hasn't happened to me yet. I'm like, okay, it happened. I'm sorry. Sit well, the, e- the easy way, you know, doing a, a bonded, you know, restoration is much harder for the average dentist. So, and they don't want to have that conversation. They'd rather destroy the tooth or take more of it away and look better. So it's starting it, to be a standard of care issue, which is the argument that we make in my course. Uh, it's starting to be a standard of care issue. It's like, so basically it comes down, you cut more too so that you can keep your temporary in. Is that what you're saying? Exactly, exactly. And, and look and, at, look and at I, some of the- And I can argue from any angle and, and, and I can show you that your argument cannot stand anymore. Well, look at, look at some of the most well-known cosmetic dentists doing veneers on everybody. Look at their teeth. They don't have veneers. It's amazing how many, I know, Peter, you have, uh, you have different opinions on this, but I see a lot of guys out there, a lot of dentists that don't yeah. have any dental work. They I don't, don't have veneers. We can't see. What are you pointing out? I so, yeah, but I have veneers. What do you got down there, Miguel? I can't see. Me? What God gave me, Bobby? Uh, okay, that's not an RPD? Because I, I thought I saw clasps there in 22 and 27. I'm, I'm fucking <laughs> oh, with no, you. No, no. I'm kidding that's, with you. That's, that's just calculus. <laughs> <laughs> that's all that good uh, parillada that's that you're eating. That's just calculus. No, but it's, it is interesting. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a huge uh, fan of minimally, minimally invasive. I always tell the best dentistry is the minimum amount to keep, keep the patient happy and healthy. But, 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 you, but, you have to, but you have to base it on science, not on trying. So, so that's yeah. another thing that we're talking about, of course, is like stop trying on people. Stop trying materials. Stop trying techniques without even reading a paper. Just because your right. body told you or your rep told you. Who the heck yeah. are we to try people? Well, the, the big well, companies out there. I use Smart or I use, you know, Lava or I use Dynamic and it didn't work. Or I use, you know, Supremity or Emacs. I'm like, who are you to try? I can show you the science of which one is better and that's the end of it. Well, the problem is, is the big companies market to us. They give us one of their clinical trials and they say, this is the best thing ever. Targus Vectris or Lava, whatever. I mean, you know how many Lava crowns I put in? Nobody reads, oh. man. I'm nobody sorry? Reads. If you were, if, nobody reads. If you were read the, the science, if they were read the yeah. science, they wouldn't be yeah. putting it in. Yep. Well, we be- we're, we're the beta testers. Yeah, we're well, we're the beta testers. Our patients are the yeah. beta testers for all these products. They, they, there's a there's a bunch of groups that are getting together, and I know this because uh, I've been approached to join this lawsuit that is coming. And I don't know if this is, I didn't sign the NDA, so fuck it. I don't know <laughs> if, if if this is uh, 
confidential or not, but there's a lot of dentists now that are about to sue the big manufacturing companies because uh, restorations failed. And uh, there's a reason why I didn't join that lawsuit because if I have to be on the other side, um, actually I didn't get called. Somebody told me about this. I want to be clear. Somebody told me about this. Um, it, 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 and I answered to this person, if, if I was called as a witness expert on either side, I will say, I will sit on the side of the companies. I will say, who's the dentist here? Yeah, exactly. Who has the obligation to read the science and make a decision instead of just reading a brochure? You know, now different story if the company actually lied, but is the company used true information and then you didn't check it or they, you know, they show you the good and not the bad. They don't have an obligation to show you the bad. They just have an obligation to sell. So if you say, you know, buy the ice cream because it's cold and then it was shit flavor ice cream, it's your problem that you didn't look it up. <laughs> they didn't lie to you. It was cold. Yeah. You no. Know? So um, cold shit. Nobody shit. reads. It's just, it's sad. It's sad that we think that we can just try things in our patients. And, well, what I, what I love about what you're doing on your page though, is you're taking the long form literature, you know, cause studies are so freaking hard to get through and you're just kind of creating like this poll. Like, what do you think? Is zirconia this or that? And then, you know, you're leading people in, you're getting the data and then you're delivering it. It's really a unique style. I love the deadlit stuff that you're doing. It's awesome. It, 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 it's, it's a way of digesting it better. And, um, you know, 20 stories that you see on a post is seven or eight hours of my work and lost people. A lot of people value that. And, 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 you know, it's, it's nice when people value that, that you're trying to provide a service and, uh, and you know, it's, it's rejoicing. I like it. Finally, the Bulletproof practice book is out on Amazon. Craig and I have distilled down our experiences in dentistry over the past 20 years in our true to form unfiltered fashion that y'all have come to expect from our podcast we talk about our victories and our bruises and it's 132 pages of vision leadership marketing and even just life as a dentist and it's meant to entertain you so we hope you'll support us and grab a copy on amazon today thanks friends so let me ask you do you ever get people that come in and ask you questions about like well, well let me back that question up for a second do you get data or are you getting at least anecdotal data that tell that people that come to your courses are reporting back like higher levels of income or satisfaction? Do you query them at all? Do you look at their intra? I mean, their data coming in and going out or anything like that? Uh, no, I don't think I know if they're making more or less money, but we do know after the, the adhesive reconstruction and tooth preparation courses, because we do a group, a WhatsApp group of the each course. So um, we're in it. And we kept the discussion after the course and we share cases together for each course. It amazes us how people with a lot of experience like you, people not, not just, just graduate, people who've been doing things for a while, they go Monday morning and then they prep a tooth differently or they use a different material. And that's huge, man. Imagine if I teach you something and then on Monday you go and all of a sudden your crown, you're approaching it differently. It's, that impact is is. It's amazing. And, and we take that with a lot of responsibility, a lot of responsibility. When, when we put this course together, it took a year and a half of me reading thousands of papers so that when I present it to you, I'm not just giving you my opinion because my opinion doesn't count. I'm too young. Everything I did is still in the mouth. So what? It's been a few years. That doesn't count. I can show you what I do and people want to see what I do in my courses. They're like, show me what you do. And it's like right there, all in the screen. Look, it's beautiful, right? 
let's do this course in 10 years, see if my shit still thin. Uh, I don't know. What yeah. I do know is that I researched and studied and based my decisions as much as I can on science. So then in 10 years when it fails, it's like I could have done it better. Like I, I, I use all the tools that I have. And, and that let me sleep at night. It truly does. And, and if it fails, okay, it fails. Like, but that, that's the information I had at the time. Yeah. So seeing people going on Monday, and, and I'm not, I can show you the, the text uh, when they start saying, look how I did an endocrine. I'm not a full crown. Look how I am doing uh, only instead of crown. Look how I'm bonding differently. Or look how I approach this procedure, not even drilling at all because it didn't need to be drilled to begin with. And you go, that's cool. Hey, Miguel, part, part of my ignorance here, but, uh, uh, and I don't know because I'm just not attached to academia, academia like you are, but are dental students still being taught today GV Black principles, extension, and that, that I form? don't think extension for prevention is taught as much. And this is no, just but like right the, the occlusal that, you know, full extension. Well, why, don't we, why, don't we go, why don't we go farther? Why don't we go to what is supposed to be uh, the top of the top? Why don't we talk about PROS programs then? Because dental schools are doing whatever they can. Mm-hmm. But why don't we talk about PROS programs and what they're teaching? Yeah, talk to we, me about that. They, well, there are many PROS programs are not teaching bonding at all, including the one I went to. Um, most of the PROS, if you go to Europe, it's going to be really, if you go to Europe and you talk to PROS artists in Europe, they laugh about us here in the US. It's like we're in the, we're in the cave ages. No. Uh, we're still around by the same people who've been running this program for 20, 30 years and their mind hasn't changed. Um, and very few programs are being truly up to date on what they do. And most of them will teach that everything is a ground, that everything is opposed, that everything has to be cut down, that everything is a full muscle construction, that everything is and it's sad because at the same time they claim that they're doing evidence-based dentistry. You hear that in every single uh, pros program and I can sit down in front of them now and say half of what you taught me was outright wrong and the other half was probably outdated. So, and I can say here's a thousand papers that prove that you taught me wrong and they will still close their eyes and not even look at them. I mean, they crazy to go and take a, a board certification and you should talk to anybody who took the American uh, prosthodontic boards and they don't study for the test. And this is true. If you, the American prosthodontic board is probably the hardest test uh, after probably step one, step two for dental medical students. It's probably the hardest test there is out there. You talk to pedodontists, orthodontists, they should study for a while. They go take their test and they pass it. The, the, the prosthodontic boards are three years of your life following this full mouth cases that has to be perfectly done on the uh, eyes of the examiner. I think there are 20 examiners that everybody knows who they are. They're famous prosthodontists, also they think they are. And <laughs> you will see the students who are studying this, you will see the students who are studying for this test, trying to learn the name of these people so that they know what these people believe so that then you can go and give the test to what they believe. Uh, because they know Oh my God. Them. They just gamify it, huh? So how, just, are, how are you just, being responded to in the prosthodontic circles then because what you're teaching then is is completely aberrant from what you were taught when i teach my course i will say i have half of the class which is people who will be practicing for 10 years and less and then maybe the other 30 percent will be 10 to 20 and i get usually four or five people that are very experienced 
for me and for Carlos to come in and, and change the mind for those who have been practicing for not too long is easy. Okay. It's not a hard thing because they're very open, very, they don't have a lot of experience. So they take what you give them uh, very easily. And, and we have a lot of responsibility because of that, because I don't want to misguide people. So whenever I have people who are very, very experienced sitting on the other side, I follow their eyes and their feelings and throughout the course very carefully because I want to see that they're my measurement. Okay. I have have professors from prosthodontics programs. I have a program directors come to my, my course. I have one in New York. And right after I went and I talked to them, I was like, okay, let it rip. What do you think? Cause I really care about what you have to say. And most of these people will agree on what I said earlier. So they're trying to come out of the bubble and see, see the light in and they say, you, you, you preach into the choir, like you're 100% right. Uh, the science supports what you're saying. This is not your opinion. And it's a shame that the most of the prosthodontist community is just, you know, it's, it's, they're in denial. That sucks because the patient, the patient the, suffers. Oh, the patient you, suffers. You know what the funny thing is? I, I got up for a second because while you were talking, in 1997, when Miguel, when you were like three years old, uh, I was just graduating school. <laughs> And this book, you probably know these guys personally. This book came yeah. out. It's a uh, Spurifico and um, Didi or Dici. And this yeah. shit just blew my, my, yeah, this shit blew my mind. But this is a 21 year old book. And it was just so groundbreaking for that time. And so ahead of it, you're talking about the Europeans. This book was just amazing. It made so much sense to me. It was part of the Seattle study club that I met those guys. Um, but, but then it just. People think that I, when I talk like this, that I'm hating on the past. I do not. I stand on the shoulders, very strong shoulders. Without them, we can't move forward. I am not saying that what they preach now was always wrong. I'm saying that it was yeah. right at some point, and then they fail to come out of the dogma and realize that things have evolved for the better, and all they need to do is to update their techniques. Yeah. Okay? Uh, retention form and resistant form was a result of weak bonding procedures or cementation procedures. And the 1.5 reduction on tooth preparation was the need to hide your metal in your PFM. Right. Okay. So we can't just keep teaching that every tooth has to be cut down 1.5 millimeters. We have can't keep ignoring that now we have chemical bonding, not just mechanical bonding. And then we can't ignore the fact that maybe the way we think about survival and, and um, success has to change because all the studies from the 60s, 70s and 80s on survival success are like, if things are not in the mouth for 15 years, it's a failure. That's basically the 12 to 15 years. If it's not in the mouth, then it's a failure. So I'm going to cut all this tooth down to make sure that that crown stays in. I'm like, thank you. I'm here 15 years later. You left me no tooth left. Yeah. What's next? Okay. Because now I couldn't see through the x-ray. Now the only reason I see carriers is because now I see carriers below the margin. That means inside is a mess. By the time I go in there, I got nothing left. So if I do an onlay right now and I leave it all the way on the occlusal, Miguel, that's going to debone in seven years because, you know, hydrolysis happened and all bonding material, blah, 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 blah. Great argument. So what? I'll put another one in seven years. Mm-hmm. So what, what's the problem mm-hmm. with that? Yeah, you don't get a crown until okay. 20 years later, which is perfect. Yeah. yeah. So or 30 so years later. We'll do it again. And we tell it to the patient, look, this will last less, but in the long run, it's much better for you. Uh, and, and I'm telling you, I went three years to, to a program in which I learned a lot. And I have great mentors and I have a lot of respect for what they did. But this is what I hear about bonding. It hydrolyzes, we're not going to talk about it. Wow. Like, Are you kidding me? 
No, no, we talk about it. Convince me that it doesn't exist. Don't just ignore the fact. Yeah. Okay. I um, think a lot, a lot of the reason why this happens as well is in medicine, you know, if you're an orthopedic surgeon and you want to, you don't want to use a laparoscope or laparoscopy or whatever, you're not going to be able to work in most hospitals. They have standards of care. You know, because you work in these organi- organizations, but as dentists, we can go off in our own little office and practice the same old way that we always have. And there's yeah. no one really looking over our I shoulder unless you get in trouble. If you tell, if you go join a hospital and say, I really like to cut the whole chest wide open. I don't like to do cardiac catheterization. I don't believe in that. I'm, I've been yeah. doing this since the seventies. It works really well for me. I crack the chest and I do it this way. You wouldn't be able to practice, no, but in dentistry, the front. The fragmented nature of our practice allows us to practice in our own way, to, sometimes yeah. to our detriment. But the science is there. And one of the missions that I have in life right now is to put the science out there for those who, who cannot get it. Because unfortunately, all the sciences, we have paywalls and most people cannot reach it. And most people don't know how to reach it. And many people ask me, why, why are you doing this? Why you keep you know, putting all this effort and time, blah, blah, blah. And I say, and those people usually are asking me here in the U.S. Because they say, you know, I, I can go look the paper myself or I can. I'm like, you can, but not the dentist in Ethiopia or, or, you know, in Bangladesh or in India or in Argentina or in Venezuela. Or, not everybody has what you have. So if you think what I'm doing is for the people in the developed world, uh, you, you got it wrong. You got it absolutely wrong. Because I'm not doing it, I'm doing it as a byproduct to all of us here. But my main audience are those people who really don't have access to it. That they're in like their phone in little 3G uh, signal, and they can get a little bit that's going to help the next patient. And they're getting paid two dollars a tooth for a root canal, and that's the people that I want to say, hey, listen, maybe you can do it this way, or maybe you can do it that way. Here's what the latest science says, and this can be used anywhere in the world. So that, that's that's my goal right now, and. And, and I see the feedback. Like if uh, I show you yesterday, I think I answered like 700 messages or something. It was insane. My wife was like, get off the phone. I'm like, I don't know. Whatever. Oh, that's <laughs> awesome. Hey, so what's, what's next? So I hear this education. Are you, are you considering um, developing your own products? I mean, obviously, if you can see the research, you, you, you know the breadth and the scope of what we have right now. And if there, there's obviously needs that you see. What, what's, what's exciting you? What's next for you? What's exciting me right now is the Dentalist Academy. Um, as Dentally developed as a concept of science-based decision-making and, and, and sharing um, and, and putting good quality, fun to digest uh, content out there. Uh, the Dentalist Academy, uh, I'm putting a lot of effort into it. Uh, right now, if you go to dentally.com, you're going to have my online photography course. You're going to have an impression technique course. You're going to have... Uh, the one that I'm most proud of, which is people still don't know that, that is there because they keep asking me like every science, every dentally that I post and talk about it, I put a link to for free in dentally.com in a section of the online courses that is called Let's Talk Pros. So everything I do in Let's Talk Pros is in dentally.com for everybody to go get it. And uh, people say, well, but I click the link and it takes me to a paywall. And uh, I think they have to pay. They have to pay for everything they do. Some people out there are going to this website, which is called sidehub.tx, which I do not recommend anybody to do because it's illegal. Uh, and are getting the papers, every paper there for free. Uh, that's what I don't do that. And I don't tell anybody to do it. They need to just click on the link. Do not look at the DOI number of the paper and then copy and paste into this illegal website to get the papers for free. Um, so 
all the papers are there, even though if you don't have a paywall, you can still read the, um, the abstract if you want, but you see what I'm saying here. You understand okay. what I'm trying yep. to do. And the idea is that everybody has access to the information. If they pay, you know, like those illegal people who uh, do it the wrong way by going to sci-hub.tx. And so everything is there. And I narrow it down to a hundred papers that I read. I think this is the five importance and these are the points. And I just digest it for you. Here you go, go get it. So that's part of the Dentist Academy. Uh, we have many projects in the pipeline. We have many courses coming up. Uh, and it's time to involve all the people. It's time to open the doors of the Dental Academy to other people to come and, and, and do courses with me, online courses uh, that are very valuable, that are monetarily accessible. Um, I'm trying to stay away from, you know, the $2,000 fee for this course or $1,000 fee for that course. You were asking me before offline why, if my courses are fully sold out, why I'm not charging more. And uh, not the point. No, 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 no. No, my purpose in life to you have more than what I have. And, um, and especially the photography course, people are like, why are you charging 700 bucks when your competition is charging 1500? I'm like, my competition has all their bottom line that they might need to charge more, but my bottom line with 700 is plenty. And seeing students come in, residents come in, dental technicians come in because they can afford 700. Can afford of it. It's, I, I prefer to do that and, you know, and just keep it accessible to, to most people it, yeah, it I takes mean, me off of it takes me away from the clinic so i do have to make money out of it but um, how many days a week to... are you working clinically four monday to thursday so four days a week yeah and uh seeing patients the, the normal like 8 30 to 5 type of thing 8 30 to 5 the whole variety i have the same problems as everybody else like i'm not special I had to, yeah. to redo class two when they look leaky right after I make them, when I don't have a contact, when they look like shit. I, you know, I try to take these out of my root breaks. Eh, same with everybody. I try to do better every day, but. Yep. Craig, Peter, thank you very much for this thank time. You. Thanks, really Miguel. Enjoy awesome. your day, pal. All right, okay, guys. Man. Take care. Have a good time. As well. Thank Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to the Bulletproof Dental Practice Podcast. We'd love to hear your thoughts about this episode. Please rate and review us on iTunes or your favorite podcast source. Check out BulletproofDentalPractice.com for video interviews and text BULLETPROOF to 345-345 to stay connected to us for special announcements. Have a great day.